everybody. Happy Monday. Welcome back to the Wellness Wake Up. We have a great episode ahead for you today. Hi, Marissa. Hi, Carolyn. Yes, we are answering all of your questions. We figured since it was halfway through our second season, it was time to take a pause and ask you guys a little bit about what you want to hear. So we are going to go rapid fire through a bunch of questions today. But as always, before that, let's start with our magic mm, moment. Do yes. you want to kick it Oh my gosh, I'll kick it off because I just came up with such a good weekend. My magic moment is I went away with all of my best girlfriends from growing up. I have this great group of girls who I played soccer with from when I was seven. And they're still my absolute best friends in the world. And it's just like going away with your sisters where you're like just piled on top of each other. We went up to Banff in Canada for a girl's bachelorette who got married already. It was just like one of those freaking epic beautiful. If you haven't ever been to Banff, Google it. It is like these majestic, you know, Caribbean blue lakes in the middle of insane mountains. And we took a boat out on the river one day or on one of the big lakes one day. And it was just like one of those really special, you're in the middle of nowhere, no cell phone service and just like laughing and telling old stories. And it was so wonderful. So that was my magic moment. What about you? I love that. Mine is a little less exciting this week, but my magic moment would be Saturday. It was absolutely miserably hot in New York. And it was one of those days where I ended up walking so many steps. I was with like five of my friends and we walked all through the West Village and along the West Side Highway through Tribeca, like back up. It was just really, really nice. And we were kind of like laughing and just enjoying and you kind of forget about the heat. So Mm -hmm. My magic moment and my favorite part about New York, I always say, is being able to walk so many places and feel like you're in so many different parts and like different, you know, so that was definitely that. So I love it. Yeah. There's always so much going on and especially in New York in the summer when everybody else leaves and you have it to yourself. So (laughs) Except we laid on the West Side Highway in the shade for a little bit and ran into like 18 people that we know. Mm So people are definitely still here, but a little less crowded. Um, Okay. Let's Let's get jumped in. We have a whole lot of great questions from you guys. So let's chat about them. Starting with Something called Colon Brew, we got a question on, which is a product that you guys may have seen trending. I know I've got it sent to me from clients as well. And so no surprise, you know, there's always that new product that promises to help you lose weight. And to this one specifically, like Colon Brew, very visual, (laughs) what it's doing, sweeping you out. So it's definitely trending right now. But the reality of this product is that it's just fiber. It's just psyllium husk. And so when we looked into the ingredients, it also has some natural flavors, which you know are not our favorite, but overall, it's really nothing too crazy in there. And so if you are interested in this product, if you're someone who runs constipated, totally safe to add in the mix. I think though, that you could probably find something a whole lot less expensive at a Whole Foods or Trader Joe's or something like that. You can get typical psyllium husk just in its own form and throw it into a smoothie. So you don't need to get this sort of like trendy version or trendy name of it. And actually my favorite one, there's a product called Sun Fiber by Tomorrow's Nutrition, which if you're looking to boost your fiber, I love to have clients throw in the mix. It totally dissolves in water. So you don't even know you're drinking it. And it adds about six grams of fiber per scooper. So that's my go-to for clients, not this psyllium husk, which is like a whole lot harder to mix in. And definitely thinking about like, this is not one of the worst TikTok trends, right? This is probably better than most. If anything, the problem with this is the marketing. Like Colin Broom is an awful, <laughs> awful visual and name, but yeah, we're pretty much okay with the ingredients. The only thing to note that's always a little sketchy is when it's so hard to find the ingredients yeah, totally. online. And this one took Carolyn quite some digging. So I 
think that says something about a brand when they're not as outright and transparent, which I don't really know why they wouldn't be. They have totally fine ingredients, but we also always want to start with real fiber first. So if you're Mm -hmm. not eating any fiber from food, we are not putting you on sun fiber or psyllium husk. Like we want to make sure that you are eating real fiber throughout the day. And then if you're still struggling with constipation, we'll add in some of these fibers and something to note, if you are adding in a fiber supplement, you need more water. Mm -hmm. You're really, it will be like swallowing like a brick. If you take this fiber and do not drink enough water with it. So I do not recommend. Love that. Okay. So next up, what are good sources of iron for plant-based diet? Marissa, you want to grab this one? So when we think plant-based diet, we definitely can get some iron in there. We just want to be more particular about what we're getting. So things like lentils are a really great source. Tofu, nuts, seeds can also be great sources. Leafy greens have some, not a ton. You know, we always think of that like graphic of like Popeye eating the spinach Mm -hmm. and like cooking his muscles with the iron. I would say if you want to get the amount that you really need, definitely eating some cooked spinach because it takes like cups of spinach to really get in the amount of iron that we're thinking of as enough. And also one note with plant iron is you always want to add vitamin C to it. So if you're eating a lentil salad, like add some lemon in your vinaigrette or orange slices, you know, if you're having nuts and seeds, eat it with some citrus on the side or some red bell pepper, anything with vitamin C, that vitamin C actually helps that iron absorption when you're eating a plant-based source of iron. Yeah. Super important. There are those infographics that go around that make me insane that show like a piece of steak and then shows like the comparable, you know, you could just eat like broccoli or spinach or whatever to get the similar amount of nutrients in this situation. It's actually completely sort of irrelevant because there are two different types of iron. There's heme and non-heme. Heme comes from the animal products and it's way more easily absorbed by our bodies. And you would need to eat way more of the plant versions in order to get that. So a lot of times some clients do need, or some people do need to really supplement with an iron supplement, iron vitamin C supplement, as Marissa just explained. We definitely want to make sure that's like a non-constipating iron supplement as well, because oftentimes they can cause constipation. I've had a lot of people do well on one called a blood builder by mega foods too. It's not a huge amount at all, but it definitely can help if you're not on the super, super depleted end of things. So if you're someone who just thinks you're on the low end or you don't eat a lot of meat, that might be a good one to add in. But that actually leads us to our next question as well, which is about blood. What should I check if, you know, I want to know about my vitamin and nutrient levels blood wise. So Yeah. yeah. What do you recommend? So we have said it at nauseam on here, but vitamin D Get Mm -hmm. your vitamin D checked. It is more than, it's not really a vitamin. It's more of a hormone. It's involved in so many processes. So many of us, especially if you live in the Northeast are really low on it because we get the bulk of our vitamin D from the sun. And if you live above like a certain line, you are not absorbing the same amount from the sun. If your skin's even a little darker, you're not absorbing the same amount. So check your vitamin D. That is first and foremost. Every time you go get blood work done, when you're getting a physical, ask your doctor for that one. Another thing we think about is vitamin B12. Another thing that's really involved in our energy metabolism. A lot of women are depleted in it. A lot of people who are struggling with gut health issues can actually be depleted in it because we need our stomach acid to actually help absorb vitamin B12. And a lot of us also have a mutation which means we need a certain form of vitamin B12 in order to absorb it. So Mm -hmm. vitamin D and vitamin B12 are two of the main vitamins we want you to get checked on your routine lab work. Going off of that, we also think about iron like we were just talking about. So asking your doctor to do a full iron panel, also a full thyroid panel can be really helpful. Make sure they don't just test your TSH, which is your thyroid stimulating hormone. We want to see your T3, your T4, 
just ask for the full panel and your doctor will know what's there. What else yeah. do you think, Carolyn? Yeah. Then of course, like lipid levels, your classic cholesterol, triglycerides, there's a whole lot of information we can gather in there. And what I'm seeing a lot too, is like, I mean, people do have really oftentimes genetically high cholesterol. So the ranges I think sometimes can be either too tight or too loose to what they would consider normal. A lot of times on these, we're looking for optimal Marissa and I both. So when we look at clients lab values and get them back, we're like looking for a really specific range that might be different than necessarily what you see under the normal or like acceptable range on there. A1C, which is an indicator of your blood sugar over the past three months. That's one that's really, really important, especially for women who have PCOS hormone dysregulation. And we're looking at A1C to see if you're having like crazy blood sugar fluctuations. CRP, which is C-reactive protein, gives us an indicator of your total body inflammation. So that's a really helpful tool to see. And sometimes your CRP levels can be really high. For example, I got labs done earlier this year, right after I got in the COVID vaccine, And my CRP levels were like crazy high. So they made me go back and get them again. So if you've been sick recently, or if you even like, I think ran a crazy, did a triathlon or something and have a lot of inflammation in your body from exercise, that level can be a little bit elevated too, but that gives us an idea of like, do we want to be on a lower inflammatory diet or throwing certain supplements in that help with inflammation? And then I also like to look at omega-3 too. And so I'll have clients do an omega-3 panel, which really also looks at your omega-3 to omega-6 ratio. We want both. We want both omega-3s and omega-6s, but the ratio is really, really important on that. And we get omega-6s from nuts, seeds, from inflammatory oils like canola oil. And so the balance here is really important. It's not that we don't want any omega-6s. It's just that with our present standard American diet, AKA the sad diet that we've talked about in a couple of episodes, we really want to make sure that we're not getting too much omega-6s because that increases total body inflammation. We want to be getting a whole lot of omega-3s, which come from things like fatty fish, from chia seeds, walnuts. Those are some plant-based sources of them. And sometimes your insurance might not cover the omega-3, omega-6 panel. There is an at-home test called Omega Quant that does these where you just prick your fingers. It's a little bit brutal in my opinion, but really, really interesting information that you can see at home for, I think about 50 or $60. So you can go to omegaquant.com and find that out. I love that. And then if you guys want to get more into the nitty gritty of like other vitamins and nutrients, there are some higher level of tests. Again, usually not done by insurance. The one company that comes to mind for me is SpectraCell and they do a lot of micronutrient testing. The way I see it is this is not always necessary. Let's start with your basic labs first. Let's look at your diet. Let's see how you're feeling. If we really can't get to the bottom of things and think you might have some really specific deficiency, that might be something we do, but not always where I start. Yeah. And if you're having like a really specific deficiency while you eat a full diet or like, you know, a really pretty healthy diet, then we would also probably look at gut health too, and make sure that you're actually absorbing what you're eating and breaking it down properly and, you know, getting rid of the stuff you need to be. So there's lots of other things going on. If you think you eat an overall healthy diet, then typically you probably don't need a full intensive, you know, $2,000 panel because a lot of times these will be out of pocket as well. So just something to keep in mind. Of course, we would like to get to the point where we could have all of this information like at our fingertips. And I think we will too. One day. One day we'll be able to really, really customize and, and individualize this stuff. But for right now, I think getting some of those basics and getting lab, at least getting lab work done once a year is a yeah. great place to start. Okay. The next person asked thoughts on avoiding all products with certain oils or gums. So mm. 
this is an all or nothing question and we don't believe in all or nothing for the most part, right? We believe in doing the best you can and finding ways to like upgrade the things that you use daily or frequently. So for instance, and especially this becomes important if you have GI issues, when we think about all those gums, if you're drinking almond milk in your coffee and in your smoothie every day or in oatmeal, when you make it, that's the time when we would definitely want to find an almond milk without the gums, right? And the things that you're having all the time. What do you think about that? Yeah, absolutely. I think if you have GI issues, avoid those gums, but otherwise, I mean, this is like a don't make yourself crazy one, but do the best you can, whatever you're having on a daily basis. Like if, first of all, like when I met my current partner, I, he used to always add oat milk to everything, like every day in his smoothies, you know, in coffee. And that's when that's like, there's canola oil and that, that's so unnecessary. So you've upgraded and you don't even taste that. If you're making a smoothie, especially, you know, that oat milk does have like its texture and tastes are really, really good in coffee. But if you're getting that once in a while at a restaurant, like, or at a, you know, coffee shop, whatever, if you're having that every single day, that is a place that we would definitely focus on upgrading. So completely agree. Everything it's also... With all of this, dose makes the poison, right? So it's mm-hmm. not even just what you're having every day, but how much of it. Mm-hmm. If you're putting a splash in oat milk in your cold brew when you go and pick it up every day, probably not the biggest deal. But if you're drinking an oat milk latte every morning yeah. and having like a cup of it, that's something we definitely want to get pickier on. And that's one thing that we both are picky on with clients. Yeah. And like we talked about in one of our most recent podcasts too, you have this sort of threshold. You have like this, what we would call like an allostatic load. And this is a little bit different than, you know, your like digestion wise, what's going on. But a lot of these things, when we talk about inflammation and these like low, like minor inflammatory things, like if you're getting that throughout your day and like every other food product that you're having and you're eating a ton of packaged food, then like, yeah, you probably want to start to avoid that stuff. And if you have the choice between a, you know, an almond milk that doesn't have carrageenan in it, which like sort of helps with the texture of it, then go for the one that doesn't have it. Go for like the milk or any of those. Of course, like then it usually gets a little bit more expensive as well. So yeah, you got to get a little bit picky in here, but do the best you can and don't make yourself insane. Like if I have trying to have a bar and it has natural flavors in it, but I'm on the run, like whatever. (laughs) Like there's a time and a place. And if you're focusing on eating a mostly whole foods, really nutritious diet, you're not going to have to worry about the little amount of these things that Mm -hmm. I'm sure we both have some gums somewhere in our fridge right now and it's okay. Definitely. Definitely. So that brings us into that next question because you were saying it can get a little bit more expensive. So someone Mm -hmm. asked what foods are worth the money for organic and which can be skipped? Uh, Great question. And an important one. I think of all animal products, dairy and meat, really, really important wherever you can go organic or ideally even grass fed. That is definitely the ideal situation. And when it comes to chicken and eggs, we look for the words pasture raised, which is like a step above organic. That means they've had outdoor access and actually ate grass, which is really, really important. But what do you think when it comes to veggies? Because that's a tricky one. So first and foremost with this one, obviously it's about your access to things, right? If you're stressed out because you can't afford the organic spinach, so you're never buying it, like, no, 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 Mm -hmm. like eat the vegetable regardless, right? Like clean it really well. Mm -hmm. We can work on it. But one thing I really like to do with clients with veggies is and fruits and veggies, so produce in general, is I always say, if you can afford organic, go for the organic with whatever Mm -hmm. you're buying. We know that it has less pesticide residue. It's better for our health. It's better for our hormones. Now, if you're like, okay, I can splurge on some organic, I can't do all of it. Look up these lists. They're called the Dirty Dozen and the Clean 15. And basically the EWG puts out this report each year and it doesn't change that much year to year. Mm -hmm. I think it's been the same for like the past five years that I've been checking it. Um, Maybe one or two fruits or veggies has changed it. But basically the Dirty Dozen are like the highest sprayed pesticide Mm -hmm. crops. 
And the clean 15 are the ones with the least amount of pesticide residue. So dirty dozen, it's always spinach, some berries on there. Apples are one. So those are things that I would say, try to make those your organic Mm non-negotiables. And then for the clean 15, maybe you don't buy the organic avocados or corn or onions or some of those things that have less pesticide residue. Yeah, absolutely. So again, don't make yourself crazy. It's not worth not buying it. Also, another helpful tool for making things a little bit less expensive would be to go for frozen if needed. You don't always need to buy things super fresh, especially if they're not in season presently. So frozen can be a much more cost-friendly way to get all of those veggies in in an organic way. And then also try to buy local too. It adds a whole other element. You don't always know that local is going to be organic, but you can, if you're at the farmer's market, talk to the farmers about it. And you're going to also really notice the difference in taste too. Like try buying something. I actually did this challenge one time with my sister and a friend where we bought corn from like conventional corn. We bought organic corn and then we bought farmer's market corn. It was crazy. Like they're completely different foods. It's so much more enjoyable and so much more like flavorful when grown locally and from more like heirloom crops, heirloom seeds and things like that. So really cool. I love that tip. And I also think remembering that if you're buying local, a lot of times those really small farms, if you go to the farmer's market, don't have an organic certification and talk to them, like Carolyn just said, because usually that's okay. Like it's really expensive to get organically certified. Sometimes these small farms can't afford it. So you go to Union Square Farmers Market, you don't have to necessarily shop organic, but talk to the farmers about their practices, learn about them. And a lot of times you can trust some of those smaller farms. Yeah. yeah. And like Marissa said, also, if you can just wash something really well too, you want to get that pesticide residue and any like hands that it's passed through off when you buy veggies, then like that definitely can help too, if you can't find something organic. And I think the frozen thing is so important. People always think that frozen fruit is either, or like veggies are like less nutritious, but really it's frozen at peak of freshness and it actually can preserve some of that nutrition. Totally. Yeah. It's great. Great hack. Do you make sure though, that there's not like weird added ingredients. And a lot of times in Trader Joe's like veggie blends and stuff, they'll have canola oil and like sugar or whatever. So just double check the ingredients to make sure that it is just pure veggies, please. Yeah. Okay. So what is the best snack or meal before a workout? So I always think a little bit of carb. So you need carb for your muscles to actually contract. It gives you energy. So things like a little bit of toast with peanut butter, a piece of fruit, you can add a little bit of nut butter to that. What do you think of usually? Yeah, I love a good piece of fruit right before workout. And then I also love for my runners, for people who go a little more distance or like cyclists or anything like that, doing dates stuffed with a little bit of nut butter and some sea salts can be really, really great one. So that's on that got me through marathon training back in the day. Then I never ran again. So, (laughs) Um, okay. So next question, which types of oils are the best? This is one that I feel like has gone a little bit viral as well. And so we're fans of the ones that are going to be, again, those like anti-inflammatory ones, the ones that are not going to be really high in the omega-6s we talked about earlier. So that would be avocado oil, olive oil, coconut oil, a little bit of grass-fed butter. I love, I actually use a lot of grass-fed butter. I wouldn't say the, the little. Ghee is fantastic too, which is clarified butter. Yeah. So avocado oil is super healthy and olive oil. Those are monounsaturated fats, which are incredible for our health. When you think about the grass-fed butter, like you are what you eat, right? So like Mm -hmm. the cows are actually eating grass, so they have healthier nutrient profiles. And then the butter has healthier nutrient profiles. So it kind of passes it along. Also note about butter is that it's just really satisfying for a Mm -hmm. lot of people. 
helpful. So sometimes a little bit goes a long way and that can be super helpful there. Yeah. It also just tastes so much better in my opinion and get that from real food sources too. Salmon, avocado, olives, nuts, all fantastic. Like I love olives before, you know, like as an appetizer. Love olives. Okay. Next question. I really like someone asked how to deal with portion control. So portion control is kind of like this buzzword, which it's ambiguous because we all need different amounts on different days. And the only way that, you know, if you quote unquote overdid it is if you feel too full, right? If you are listening to your, we always say like honor your hunger and also respect your fullness, right? So start to learn some of those hunger fullness cues. I always say that the portion size on the back of a package is information and like use it with curiosity, right? So like, Okay. Measure out a fourth cup of nuts one time, see what it looks like in your hands. So the next time you take a handful, you're not accidentally eating like two cups of nuts or something <laughs> without realizing, but then on a day when you need more, have an orange with it, right. Or a cheese stick or, you know, use them as jumping off points. But like, sometimes people get really, really like bogged down and like, okay, the chickpea pasta says this is supposed to go into four portions, but I was really hungry. And now it's only three portions. And like, that's oh okay. yeah, it's like so quote unquote bad. I feel like that's where that always comes right. in. You're like you're allowed to eat more than what the portion size says. In fact, most of us need that. Right. And it's all about how you're building your meal, right? Mm-hmm. So I always say, like the back of the label, it's just showing you what the calories and the rest of the nutrition facts label is based off of. It's not prescribing you mm-hmm. how much you need. You know, we really learn that through understanding meal balance and through focusing on our hunger and fullness cues and also using mm-hmm. like our body is information, right? Maybe you eat a meal and you're like, I need a nap afterwards. Mm-hmm. Okay. Something didn't work. Did you make the whole box of chickpea pasta and then needed to take a nap? Like let's rework that and just yeah. do it with curiosity. Yeah. And I think if you're interested in more in this, go back and listen to our mindfulness episode too, because it's like there's internal and external information all the time. And, you know, I'm sure you've been told that you should only like one golf ball size of peanut butter or something like that, or, you know, a card deck size of protein. And the reality is it's going to be different. You know, if you're finding that you're always overeating, chances are you haven't eaten enough all day long. And we're much more in tune with what our bodies are saying. My partner and I talk about this a lot. He's always like, just even like weight wise, like my body has used to change a lot because I was always feeling out of control with like quantity. And now it's like, I know exactly when I'm starting to feel full and it doesn't feel good for me to eat past that point. So that just doesn't happen anymore. And that is years and years of work on this and also doing this professionally probably, but it is possible to really make shifts like that too. And I think that that's like, that's the key to this is like, it's not just about us giving you a quantity, you know, calories or grams wise. I mean, like Marissa said, I think I love the idea of like a jumping off point for some people because some people just have no idea. And also your body's giving you a whole lot of information all the time. And like, if I've eaten too much carbs all day, my body's creating protein. It always is looking for that rebalance. Yeah. Your body has all this information. We just have to learn how to re-listen to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Okay. The next question, someone asked about continuous glucose monitors. They asked, is it worth it for someone without blood sugar problems to try one and see how their body reacts? So what do you think? I think it depends on who the person is. I would like prescribe these for really like very individualized. I use these a whole lot for my clients who have PCOS or endo and people who have like really intense blood sugar fluctuations. Again, maybe someone who had a really high A1C, like we just talked about in those labs earlier, that would be really interesting. Or even maybe an athlete, if you're someone who's pretty like unattached to numbers or just think of it as information, it might be cool for you. I personally think they're awesome. I think it's really interesting. And it's so not for everybody. It can make some people feel absolutely crazy, count all the carbs that they're eating in a day and not want to eat any carbs. 
there can be like challenges with this too, or like cool challenges where you can go for a walk after a meal and see how that impacted your blood sugar. Sort of like glucose goddess does. You could just go over to her Instagram to see as well, but everybody's body responds to things individually. And, you know, Marissa eating a sweet potato or might be different than me eating a sweet potato. So that's cool to have that real time information. So for some people, information is definitely power, but for others, it can be overwhelming. What do you think? I think exactly what you just said. I think there's probably a population that it works really well in. And I think if you're struggling with like the fad diet, taking in all this information, obsessing over your portion control, I wouldn't start with this. I would start with like, let's heal our relationship with food a little bit. And then maybe when we can be more objective and use it more as like a curiosity lens, then maybe this is something that can be useful. I also think it's one of those things that if you're going to do, it takes more than a week to just actually really get into because- Mm -hmm you mentioned that sweet potato, right? Well, a sweet potato on a night of no sleep is going to react totally differently Mm -hmm. than a sweet potato on a really energized day where I worked out and I ate balanced meals earlier on. So I think like it definitely is one of those things that takes time if you're going to do it. So trying it for like a minute and being like, this is awful. Like it's probably not going to work. Sometimes patience is what we need. One more thing on that is just, if you need help and understanding it too, like work with a practitioner, that is one that I don't think most people should really do alone because it can be overwhelming. And then you sort of end up throwing out all the data around it too, or don't know how to interpret it exactly. So it's worth setting up a session with someone to really understand what's going on, like getting some challenges. Like I said, the walk after lunch or playing around with like order of eating your food or having apple cider vinegar before a meal or checking it out on a really stressful day. Like there's so many things that we're looking for that you might not think of off the top of your head. So definitely. Okay. Yeah. Let's end it on something really fun. Someone asked <laughs> favorite frozen treats of this year. I am definitely more of a sugar person, I think, than you, but we both love dessert from time to time. I don't know about that. <laughs> I'm a dessert actually most nights person who, I don't know why I said time to time. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's definitely some things I like to keep in my freezer. First and foremost, I always think about those Chloe's pops. So mm-hmm. a lot of them are just made with fruit, water, cane sugar. They are delicious. I love the dark chocolate version. It's like dark chocolate, like cocoa powder mixed with banana puree, some sugar. Yeah. And it's delicious. Also, if you haven't tried them, Dream Pops, Carolyn and I both so said that exactly. mm-hmm. they make like popsicles, which are delicious, but they also now make bites, which remind me of those things you used to get at the movie theater that like were those ice cream bites. You know what I'm talking about? They came in a red canister. Wait, I think I watched this because I was really sick, but on the Kardashians, Pete Davidson sent these. No, he sent them to Kim on her like private jet. She was like so excited about them. They're these like ice cream bites. Yeah. I can't remember what they're called right now. When I was a kid, but dream pops makes like healthified adult version of these Mm -hmm. ice cream bites and Dream Pops are amazing and you have to get their little bites. They are delicious. Well, check them out. And also love me some mochi too. Because ever had that? It's like ice cream wrapped in some delicious doughy thing. And they are these chocolate chip cookie dough ones that are wrapped basically in like cookie dough and they are insane. They're only at a very specific Whole Foods, like very far away from me. So it's like to go out of my way, but I will do that for sure to get them. But I love Bubby's mochi in general too. I think it's really good. And they're all sort of like perfect size for just needing like a little something sweet. Mm, I'm looking them up right now and trying to figure out where I can buy them. They look they are wrapped in cookie dough. That looks amazing. It's insane. Yeah. It's not the um, classic sort of Japanese restaurant mochi, but love so that. that looks delicious. Okay. Well, this was a fun yeah. episode. Hopefully we answered some of your questions. 
We will definitely do another Q&A at some point because I think it's good to check in and see what you guys want to hear and some of the questions you have. But as always, share with us your magic moments, like, share, rate, subscribe, do all the podcast things. Yes, please. We love to hear it. I'd love to hear from you. So we will see you next week. Bye, guys. Bye.